So when I was a senior in high school, I entered an essay contest. They told me it was could win $2,000 and a new Marlin lever action rifle. So I thought, hey, that's a pretty good reason for me to enter the essay contest. So I entered the essay contest. I didn't win it. I took like second or third. Uh, but second or third place was, uh, I can't remember, a $200 gift certificate to L&L Bean. So man, that was cool. So they sent me the L&L Bean catalog and I got to go through and I ordered what they call a powder jacket. And back in that time, it was kind of a big time jacket for the ski industry. It had a kangaroo pocket here and then it had two pockets on the sides. Uh, and it wasn't a waterproof jacket, but that thing would repel water like nobody's business. And I, it was baggy enough that I could put a sweatshirt on underneath it when it got cold. And I mean, that jacket was everything. I, I wore it all the time. It was red and had blue, blue cuffs and a blue collar and a blue zipper. I, it was pretty, it was pretty sweet. <laughs> so I went to college. I bought this jacket. I went to college and uh, I got to college and I went to grab my jacket and it wasn't there. So I called my mom and I said, hey, can you mail me that jacket? it's not here and she called me back a little bit later and she says it's not here either so I'm in full-blown panic mode trying to find this jacket never did find it so uh, I found another jacket and bought it wasn't the same didn't fit the same wasn't as good uh, so I was really disappointed walking through the student center one day there's my jacket hanging in the student office the, the student uh, center office and I said hey I think that's my jacket and he said, can you explain something unique about it to let me know it's yours? And I said, the L&L bean tag, it's the extra large, and it's torn in half. And there's an ink spot right here. And he said, okay, it's yours. <laughs> but I was so excited to get it back. You know, it was, I mean, it was perfect. I was, I was glad to have that jacket back. Uh, tonight, we continue looking at our journey through the Gospels. And tonight, we come to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Uh, and in this passage, we see Jesus telling two parables. Now, the first parable is about the lost sheep. And the second parable is about the lost coin. And so, uh, both of these parables are about being lost and being found. And that is what these parables are all about. And so, let's look at Luke 15, uh, verse 1, as we begin here. Luke 15, verse 1, it says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. <laughs> now as we read verse 1, what is the setting of this event that we see taking place here? Okay, they're gathering around Jesus to hear him. Now, as we've looked at our journey through the Gospels so far, what do you suspect Jesus is going to be saying? What's that? What do you think Jesus, why would they want to hear Jesus? What do you think he's going to be talking to them about? He's going to be teaching them, hasn't he? As we've walked through the gospel so far, would that be a stretch to say he's teaching them about the kingdom of God, he's teaching about spiritual things, teaching them about something about God? Is that a stretch? I mean, we've seen it so far, haven't we? I mean, so so thinking that Jesus is going to be talking about the weather or, or stock market prices or, 
or what he read on Facebook, that's not going to be what he's discussing. Uh, he's going to be talking to them about the Lord. That's what he's going to be discussing them about God's plan. And so they all gather around and they do that. And as we look at this, there's two groups of people here. There's tax collectors and sinners. They were drawing near to him. The Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling. So that's the two groups of, of people. There are the sinners and there are those self-righteous. That's, that's the two groups that we see there. And the tax collectors and the sinners they're drawing near the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, they're standing afar and, and they're watching what's happening. Now, as you think about the tax collectors, and as you think about the sinners uh, as a group, how would you describe them? How do you think they were viewed here? Not very good. Not very good. Okay. All right. What else is characteristic of them? Okay. They're not accepted by the Pharisees and the scribes. So by the Pharisees, the scribes, and most of Judaism, they are outsiders, okay? They're not wanted. They're unwanted people. Uh, tax collectors were seen as traitors because they were Jewish collecting taxes for the Romans. So that's kind of contradictory, right? So, so they, were seen as, they were seen as traitors. Sinners were seen as unrighteous, non-religious lawbreakers, drunkards, thieves, prostitutes, I mean... That's the group that they were. And as we think about that group, basically what it boils down to is they weren't Pharisees. They weren't scribes. I mean, that really is the thing that, that separates these two groups. Uh, they're sinners, they're, they're hopeless and helpless, and they're not Pharisees and scribes. That's, that's where they were at. All right? Now, as you think about this group of tax collectors and sinners, how do they respond to Jesus? Okay, they wanted to draw near him. All right, they. Okay, they wanted to listen to him. They wanted to hear what they had to say, what he had to say. Now look, look at at Luke fourteen verse thirty five there. Luke fourteen verse thirty five. What color is that print? It's in red. So Jesus is speaking. What does Jesus say there in verse 35? What's that? It's not fit for anything. Okay. It's not fit for anything. Throw it out. Okay. Uh, and then he says at the end of that, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What do we see these sinners doing? They're seeking. They're, they have ears. They want to hear, don't they? They don't want to reject the message of, of Christ. They want to hear the message of Christ. So they're drawing near to see him. And so uh, that's what we see with these tax collectors and these sinners, is they are responding to Jesus. They are drawing near. Uh, they have ears to hear, and they're they are wanting to hear. And as we think about that same little phrase, what do we see about the Pharisees and the scribes? Okay, they're condemning Christ. They're standing afar off. They don't want to hear what he's saying. They just want to look at those who are gathering near him and go, ah, man, that's not how we do it here. That's not how we do it here. That's, that's not okay. So you think as they're sharing that, are they hearing? Do they have ears to hear? 
Yeah, they're judging. They're rejecting the message of Christ, and they're, they're judging the situation. So as we think about what Jesus says there, he who has ears, let him hear. The sinners and the, and the tax collectors are hearing, but the scribes and the Pharisees are rejecting. Uh, and so that's the difference between these two groups, is one is hearing and one is rejecting. All right, any thoughts about that? Any comments about that? All right, let's look at verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who needs no repentance. So as Jesus turns to share this parable, how does he draw the Pharisees and the scribes in? What does he share there to kind of bring them into this? Okay, he, he shares a real life story. And so he knows what's going on, doesn't he? He knows about the, the grumbling that's going on. And notice there in verse 4, what man of you having a hundred sheep? So this is a question that's directed to them. Jesus never uses questions when he teaches, does he? He always does, doesn't he? He's always drawing them in with a question. So, hey, this is for you to think about. And so this is what he does, is he presents this living parable, one that they could focus, one that they could relate to, and he says, what would you do in this situation? How would you handle uh, this situation? Now, notice what he says about the 99 sheep there. Uh, Luke 15, verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. What do we see about those 99 sheep? He left them there. Okay. Okay. All right. What else do you see? They're in open country. They're in open country. What does that mean? Well, they're, they're not in the woods, they're not in a brush or a brush. Okay. They're out in the open. Okay. They're in a place of safety, aren't they? So he doesn't abandon the 99 that are in danger. He leaves them who are safe, and he goes for the one. He goes looking for the one. Now, as you think about him, as you think about going in, uh, for this for this one, what is the condition of this one sheep? It's lost. It's lost. Okay? Uh, it needs help, doesn't it? Uh, sheep are defenseless. Sheep are defenseless. They, they can't defend themselves. Uh, they, don't have, they don't have skunk spray. They don't have pepper spray. They don't have quills like a porcupine. They're not fast. Okay? Uh, not agile at all. They're pretty helpless. And they're, they're really not real smart. Really. I mean, honestly. They're not. They need a shepherd. They need a shepherd. Uh, and so that is the that is what we see here. In this one sheep, uh, he is defenseless and his condition. And 
What makes this so dangerous for this sheep is that he's gone astray. He's on his own. The shepherd is not there, so the shepherd's got to find him. Uh, this is Psalm 53, verse 6. And it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Uh, as we think about that sheep, and as we think about this description here, uh, we are the sheep, aren't we? We are the sheep. Uh, without Christ, we've gone astray. Left to our own abilities, we've gone astray. We need the good shepherd, don't we? We need someone to rescue us. Uh, and that's what Christ has come to do, is rescue us. And it's on him that the iniquity of us all has been laid. And he's the one uh, who does the rescuing. So as we look at this shepherd here, he sees and knows his one sheep is defenseless, and he knows the others are cared for, and so he leaves and he goes to protect that one. Now, as Jesus asks this question to the Pharisees and the scribes, the 99 are safe. Jesus would go, or they would go, to protect the one who was in danger. Uh, that's kind of a no-brainer here in this, in this illustration. Uh, and so that's what this parable Jesus has laid out is there. Now, as you think about this, how hard does this shepherd look for this lost sheep? He looks until he finds them. He looks until he finds them. Uh, this sheep only represents 1% of his herd. One penny. That's all it's worth. But yet he goes and does all and searches high and low for them. Uh, as you think about things that you've lost, as you think about things you've lost, there are those things that we would search high and low for until we find. But then there are some of those things where we're like, eh, I'll just get another one. It may not be as good, but I'll just get another one. You know, we kind of do that. Uh, our wallet, our ID, we search high and low for, right? We remodel the house, we remodel the neighbor's house, uh, clean our vehicles, you know, whatever it takes to find that thing. But there are other things that we lose, like that one sock. You guys have the sock bucket that has all those unmatched socks in it. I think those unmatched socks, I think they turn into Tupperware lids when they're in the dryer. Because we have those Tupperware lids that are just there. But we have socks, we just have one. So when you have one missing sock, you don't look that hard for it, really. Because you got others, right? That's what socks do, is they disappear. But those things that are important, we search for until we find. And that's what the shepherd does. He goes and he searches until he finds the sheep. And he brings the sheep back. And as we look at this, how does the shepherd respond when he finds the one lost sheep? Rejoices. Rejoices. Great celebration takes place. Uh, he tells the neighbors and he, he shares it with the neighbors. Uh, What's the neighbors know? I mean, they, they're excited for it as well, right? It's news that they should know uh, as well. And he says to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. And he went seeking that sheep. Now notice what he says in verse 7. Just so. So here he's bringing the parable. This is what this parable means. Just so, I tell you. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So what is the result in heaven? What is that response, and why do they respond with joy? One more saved. One more saved. What is, what is that that causes them to rejoice? One more saved, but it's an R word there. Repentance. Repentance. So that is what saves them, right? That turning away from searching, that turning away from being lost, turning away from wandering away, uh, and turning back to the shepherd. Uh, and when that repentance takes place, uh, heaven rejoices uh, as a result of that. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of direction. Repentance and faith are that two-sided coin. We can't have salvation without repentance, can we? But that repentance and that faith go hand in hand, just like a quarter. has a heads and has a tails. But they both are a quarter, right? So we can't turn from something if we're not turning to Christ. That's what repentance is. We're turning from sin and we're turning to Christ. If we don't turn to Christ, then we don't truly turn. We've got to turn to Christ. That's what true repentance is, is that turning to Christ. And when someone turns from the world, turns from their sin, and turns to Jesus Christ, there is joy in heaven when that takes place. Because that is something uh, that is worth rejoicing about. Uh, now, as we think about this, the Pharisees... There was no repentance for them, was there? Because they didn't need repentance. They had their own self-righteousness. They didn't think they needed to repent and turn to Jesus. So they were unwilling to repent. But that one who was lost, there was repentance there. And as a result of that, uh, there was joy, there was celebration, there was, there was great joy in heaven uh, for that or as a result of that. All right, look at verse 7 again. It says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. How is this parable, and what we read there in verse 7, how is this parable a defense of the accusation made in verse 2? The accusation that they make towards Jesus in verse 2, the scribes and the Pharisees grumble and they say, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. How is verse 7 a response to what that accusation that's made in verse 2? What's that? All sinners are important to God. Okay, sinners are important to God, okay, to, to the Lord. All right, what else do we see there? What does Jesus desire as he meets with these sinners? That they would come. That they would come. That they would be repentant. Yes. Repentance. That that is his desire. That is what that is what Jesus is desiring is to see this. Uh, and as we think about that, that is the goal of repentance, right? Isn't that the goal for why Jesus came? Luke nineteen ten says the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he's there uh, with the lost. He's seeking to save them. He wants them to repent. Repentance is the goal of Jesus Christ. As he meets with the sinners, as he makes, meets with the tax collectors, that's his goal. When he meets with the scribe, when he meets with the Pharisees, repentance is his goal. Uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, in their self-righteousness, they don't think they need repentance. But as Christ gathers with others, as Christ gathers with anybody, teaching them, 
or sharing with them. His goal is repentance. Uh, and sometimes uh, we hear we hear this thought, and and maybe you've maybe you've heard this thought, maybe you haven't. Uh, I just was visiting with somebody a couple of weeks ago, and they were they were talking to me, and and just. Uh, some of the some of the things going on in life, drawing them away from Christ. Okay, drawing them away from Christ, and hanging out with people who are drawing them away from Christ. Okay, and so the conversation that we were having was talking about that, and and their response was, Jesus hung out with sinners and tax collectors. So what is wrong with that if I do? Okay, not Jesus Christ. That's that's true, uh, but the difference is other than being Jesus and not being Jesus. The reason that Jesus did that was for this goal, for this goal alone, because he wanted to see them repent. Now it is true if we if we are with saved people, you know, us seeing them repent, that's not going to happen. We do need to be with unsafe people to see them repent. But if this is not our goal in being with them, then why are we there? What is our purpose? What is our motivation? Because if this is not our motivation, if this is not our purpose, what's going to happen to us? We're going to be drawn in. We're going to be drawn away. We're going to be drifting in. So it's important that when we're doing that, that this is our goal, this is our purpose, that we're looking for those opportunities. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, I mean, as we think about that, and I and this was our this was our discussion and our, and our thought was this, and and this was not the motivation. This was not the desire there and rubbing elbows there, uh, but but this was Jesus' desire all the time, uh, and when he was with those who were lost. This was the desire because he was seeking to save those who are lost. And really, that needs to be our mindset, doesn't it? Is uh, we rub elbows with whoever. Uh, we, that needs to be our mindset. That needs to be our goal, uh, wherever we are. And we don't need to... I think some people try to rationalize it. Okay. That that's their ultimate goal. But when you get drawn away from... Christ, and you get more into what you're trying to say. Well, I I know what I'm doing, and it's going to take you know it may take you a while. Jesus never rationalized anything he right, ever did. Right, and and some and not in all cases, but in sometimes when this is not our goal, uh, then we can really we can really condone their sin, can't we? We can approve of their sin, and we show. We show uh, uh, we approve of their sin yeah. in essence. It's not as bad as you think. Right, right, and, and that can be our temptation when we're when this is not our focus. Is we can we can be uh, condoning it and allowing it and permitting it, permitting it rather than Jesus. You know, as Jesus came, this was his goal, so he was seeking to lead them lead them away. Right. I read a testimony about a guy a number of years ago, and I can't tell you his name. I could tell you, but it just would take too long. Uh, but but he would go live with homeless people. 
Uh, he would just take a week and just go and hang out and hang out in a homeless area and go to homeless shelters. And and the reason he did that was to evangelize. Uh, and he would take a, he would take off time and just go and do that and and look just like them and be with them and hang out with them. But this was his goal, and he would lead. He would go to the shelters and he would lead people to Jesus Christ. Uh, didn't participate in the drunkenness that's there. Didn't participate in the drug use that's there. Uh, but the people knew him. They were in that group. That were in that those groups. They knew him. Knew what he was about and knew why he was there. And he was always seeking to save people. Uh, and he had got saved out of a certain similar situation. And that was his motivation to seek and save the lost. And those were the lost that he knew uh, that he could go find. Uh, but that was his goal. That was what he was doing. So it didn't change who he was, didn't tempt him or lead him back into where he once was. Instead, he was going in seeking to save all. That was his goal. It makes a difference in grace to stand. Yeah, right. And it does. And it, and it makes a difference if, if you can stand in that situation. Because some of us, we can't be steadfast and movable. Immovable, we fall into that trap, that temptation, and drift away rather than staying the course, seeking to save the laws. Yeah. All right, let's look at Luke 15, verse 8. Uh, it says in verse 8, uh, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, what effort does this woman put forth in seeking her one lost coin? All right, she searches hard. She lights the lamp. She sweeps under everything looking for it. Uh, she's diligently seeking until she finds now this is a little bit more understandable instead of one percent this is ten percent so this is a little bit yeah this is more valuable uh, a coin would be uh, a day's wages and so she's going after a day's wages because it is important to her and she seeks diligently uh, until she finds it uh, it says in verse 9 when she finds it she calls together her friends and her neighbors, and she says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. So similar to the shepherd, right? We found this one, celebrates with everybody. So uh, there's, as, as you think about that impact, I mean, uh, she goes and says, I found it, I found it. Can you imagine somebody knocking on your house tonight with a dime? I found it, I found it. <laughs> All right, power the door shut, scoot the couch in front of it, something. All right, uh, so she, she's great excitement here. She tells others, uh, she celebrates. Now, notice how he drives this home. Just so, again, he shared the parable. This is the point I'm making. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So how do the angels respond to a sinner that repents? They rejoice. Now, as I thought about this, and I thought about angels rejoicing, 
Why would angels rejoice? Angels are messengers of God, right? Why would they rejoice? Okay, alright. Why would that cause an angel to rejoice? They serve God. So if they're rejoicing, what do you think God's doing? This brings joy to God as well, doesn't it? You think about them rejoicing. They don't rejoice on their own. I mean, they're serving God. They're, they're seeking to please God and to serve God. And if God's rejoicing, they're going to rejoice. Uh, and so the angels rejoice uh, as a result of that. Uh, because that repentance, that turning to his son, uh, causes God to rejoice. Now, as we think about these two parables, what do we see in these parables that's similar? Okay. There's joy when the lost are found. In both of these instances, there is joy when the lost are found. All right, what else? Okay. And there's, it shows us how great it is when they are found. Uh, when you think about the sheep, and maybe not so much the sheep, but when you think about the coin, how active was the coin in being found? It was not active, was it? Because it's a coin. It's an inanimate object. Now, maybe the sheep would begin to, to search and to seek for home. But for the most part, sheep are just looking for the next tuft of grass. I mean, that's that's on their mind. Hey, look, clover. Woo! I love the purple stuff. You know, that's on their mindset. And before they know it, they're far away. Okay? But if they don't recognize they're far away, or if there's no looming danger and there's plenty of green stuff, they're just going to keep going, right? So the sheep may or may not be seeking home. But in that instance, the shepherd was active in seeking the sheep. The lady was active in seeking the corn. Uh, and both of those items were lost. And as we, we think about that, there was that the, the, white, the woman and the shepherd were both active in seeking that which was lost. All right, any other things that are similar in these instances? There was great rejoicing. Okay, great rejoicing when both of these items are found. Wow. Now, as we think about this, and we think about the, G, the point that Jesus is making, uh, what, is this, what does this mean? How does this all apply to, to where, the she, where this whole debate about the sheep and the, or about the uh, hanging out with tax collectors and, and sinners? Adam. Christ's motivation was to seek the lost. Okay. <laughs> okay. We're, we're right back here, aren't we? That was, that, that's the point that Christ is making, is that he came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, those who were self-righteous that, that didn't see their need, uh, that didn't recognize they had a need, they thought they were okay. Uh, you know, Christ was there to seek those who were lost and save those who were lost. And, and that's what he was doing. So, go ahead, Miss Nancy. Well, too, it puts the importance on... Um that he wants everyone. Mm -hmm. That you know, he wanted all the sheep. Mm -hmm. and he wants all the birds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he right. Wants it, he wants it all. Right. Uh, being being found is so important, isn't it? Yeah. 
and being found to serve for it. Uh, and so what do we take home from this? I mean, what do we apply to our lives as we think about the, the lost sheep and the lost coins? Okay, Christ is looking for us. Okay. We should seek out the lost. Okay. We should be looking for that with, with that kind of exuberance to, to make sure that they're, they are saved mm -hmm. as well. Um, all right, any other thoughts? Everyone has worked. You know, that's, I feel like that's what Sinners were coming near him to listen to him. I think about the tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees, and nothing went to the dark. There wasn't anything that was, they were hungering and thirsting for something that was accepted. That okay. Was okay. And, and so when they heard, and they heard stories, and they heard, Okay. All right. They're hungry. They're hungry and thirsty, and they know where to find, uh, find food and find the living water. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, I, you know, as I think about this and think about this great rejoicing, uh, you know, do we look? Do we look at the lost in the same way that when, when the potential there of someone coming to know Christ can just be great joy in heaven? You know, when we think about leading a child to Christ, we think about when they receive Christ that there's great joy in heaven. Uh, you know, I think about when I was saved. Yeah, there was great joy in heaven when I was saved. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But what about what about the neighbor down the road here who doesn't know Jesus? Uh, when he comes to know Christ, is there going to be great rejoicing in heaven? Uh, you know, I mean, isn't that amazing? Uh, you know, I think sometimes, I think sometimes as a husband and as a dad. I think I get greater joy out of seeing joy in my wife and joy in my kids. You know, and when they when when they have great joy, that excites me. Um, and and so, I mean, that's my motivation. So I should have that same mindset that if they this brings joy to God, and I can be a part of, and I can be used of God to bring joy to God, uh, that should be something that should be important, shouldn't it? Uh, I should see reaching out to the lost, seeking to save the lost. That should be something that motivates me because that's going to be bring joy. That's going to bring joy to God the Father. And if I desire to bring joy to my kids and bring joy to my wife, if that's a motivation for me to wash the dishes or, or whatever, uh, then I should be looking at reaching the lost as a motivation for bringing joy to the angels who are in heaven and to Christ and to God himself. That should be a motivator. Any other thoughts? Tony. I, I know you know this story. <laughs> that when I was saved, that my sister's church was praying for me. And they prayed for a whole year that I would be saved. And they, they went up and put flowers up on me stage uh, for my salvation and then she flew up here when I got baptized right. out of Florida so yeah. you know, and, and that's that mindset or seeking to have that joy and yep. experiencing that joy when someone is saved yeah sure sure I think that's a, a great reminder of that Dax I think for me it's easy to get discouraged by 
the amount of sin in the world of looking at it, but then you look at this and it's just a reminder of how much more there is for one person. Yeah. It's yeah. a whole house of people for one person. Right. Right. And if you think about that one, <laughs> I mean, that's one, you know? I mean, how many do, times do we go back for that one penny? You know, it's, you know, it's almost not, my age, it's almost not worth bending over for. You know? But there's that great joy in heaven for one. Yeah, John. The hardest part for everybody who's evangelized the tribe, the same for Sometimes not even. Sometimes they don't even get to that stage, do they? It's just I, I don't need. I don't know, nothing's wrong with me. So sometimes they don't even get to that stage of realizing the guilt. But yeah, they, they don't realize it. They don't understand it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Grateful for, like Linda said, the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. Yeah, we're never alone when we do that. Yeah. Let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Father.